Great, thank you for having me. So um, that was a really tough, uh, tough act to follow, and I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm going to come across as sort of being the really conservative, and you hate to be the man here. So, uh, but um, what I think we can do though is is, is juxtapose uh, what we're talking about there, and I think what you just heard is is that we've got a lot of people flying in planes, and we don't have a whole lot of landing strips. Um, we have to think of treatment centers. And the really dangerous part is, is landing the planes. And so the harm reduction does a great deal with the people who we can't quite get to, to, get to land safely yet. I'm gonna also talk, though, about how do, we, how do we prevent some of those things from taking off, and how do we get a few less planes in the sky, for, uh, to, to sort of use that metaphor. Just quickly, I got 10 minutes to kind of want to say, what am I going to put together? Pain is the number one presenting sign and symptom in the, uh, in the emergency department. We know that. You don't get to opt out of opioids. I think that I do a lot of, uh, I was on the consortium's provider education, so I do a lot of provider education statewide, actually in Nebraska as well, and recently I've been doing it in Georgia as well. So um, I really think that uh, that message is clearly getting through. Um, that, but, I, but I'm afraid that we don't want to tip it so far to say the pendulum is one side and then the other side. Uh, these drugs are actually useful, uh, but they need to be used with, with, with rhyme and reason and with good education from the patient. So the point is, is you bought into this when you got your nursing license or your medical license, you are in the job of treating suffering uh, and opioids are one of your tools. Um, we hope that we're not shutting down the acute pain which, for which opioids were designed, or that we're not shutting down palliative care, which is, uh, if, you, if you look at all the guidelines, the guidelines all talk about chronic non-cancer pain. That's where we're trying to really focus, and that's where the guidelines are clear. Um, hopefully, I'm, uh, we're not withholding uh, pain management from uh, acute or from palliative, from both ends of that. Um, but as we know, as we've already heard from Rob, and we've already heard from the others, the sort of the, the numbers behind this. But it, I, I just started doing this talk four years ago, and uh, I gotta tell you, it was a lot tougher to do. It was a lot more controversial at that point. But now we've got your medical board has come through with its, uh, with its called quad board policy. Uh, those of you who have a pharmacy license, a nursing license, a dentistry license, or a medical license ought to be aware of the quad board policy of the, of those boards because you're gonna be held to it. And they very much say there is a safe and uh, appropriate way to use these. Again, get away from this binary yes, good, bad, all that. Is there a safe way and is there ways that we're not doing it quite as safely? Um, so the whatever's, what else has made the talk a little bit easier to give? Well, clearly the, uh, the other part is the FDA now is putting black box warnings. Some would say a little bit late uh, but they're putting black box warnings on a lot of the meds. So we just saw long actings are obviously have them, and now we've got benzos for concomitant use of benzos with opioids. Been a long time coming to a lot to a lot of people. And then lastly, the CDC guidelines. Uh, most importantly about that uh, from a, is, is that it really coalesces down this thinking. So this talk has gotten a lot clearer. In 10 minutes, I'm not going to review the FDA, your medical board, or your CDC guidelines, but just be aware. Um, so why, why is a Copic guy who does medical malpractice defense work uh, in the middle of you talking about these things? Well, there is a perfect storm in the world of the liability world and the patient safety world. And when there is sort of a, a prevailing practice on one hand, 
And there then is a, what we would call, we try to avoid the word standard of care, but let's so we use the term range of best practices, even though we know it's kind of standard of care. When those two things are starting to become well-defined and they're far apart from each other, and when they're far apart, they cause harm, that's when the lawsuits start coming. And I gotta tell you, I've been surprised that there's not the lawsuits yet. So this is my favorite slide, and the reason being is if you didn't think all this other stuff of the data was indicated there was a problem, the Super Bowl. How many millions of people are watching the Super Bowl? And the pharmaceutical company has figured out there's a big enough audience to spend enormous amounts of money not to deal with the fact that whether educating people on proper use of opioids, but let's give you a new pill to deal with the chronic constipation that comes from your chronic opioid therapy. And we don't even have to tell you what's in, the con what's in that brown bag labeled constipation. Um, so um, what are the risks, just in a very quick, you gotta, I really think we're not seeing lawsuits yet, but we're seeing a lot of medical board actions. And the medical board actions are because we've got those, those ranges of best practices, quote, standard of care, coming together as defined by the quad board policies, as well as defined by what is now CDC guidelines. You gotta know them. In, the med in, uh, in emergency medicine, I gotta tell you that for the most part, you all are probably not necessarily the problem. I know that you know you have 250 people in the room, but uh, really the issue uh, for the most part is chronic non-cancer pain that is being propagated greater than 90 days at, at morphine equivalent daily doses. Greater than 90 is CDC or greater than 120 is, the, uh, is our medical board. That's where the issue runs into. Um, so we talked a little bit about that thing. We got a, we got a, we got a range of practices and then we've got We've got now defined standards and then we've got a mix and there's a lot of harm that's happening. So um, we do, we're, we've, we've heard of sort of the, the addicted side and the heroin and the injectors and that side. There's also a range of people um, just as suffering as well who may not have even had any idea that they were getting into trouble and that, uh, and that all of a sudden their chronic pain and then their dose got bumped or somebody added a benzo to it and all of a sudden they didn't wake up. And there's an accidental death in that case that was complete surprise. And the whole idea then for this family who says, geez, we didn't, you know, you're labeling this as an opioid overdose? I thought that was for stuff in the street. And no, it happens in the suburbs, it happens in the areas where you didn't think it was gonna be. Um, if you wanted to know what the prices were, the, this, is a, this is a fascinating one I do it. As, you, as the, those of you don't know, you can get, uh, streetrx.com is not a dark site. It's actually developed by Radars, which is out of the Denver Health Department. It's, it's because if you want to study um, what is the opioid, uh, the opioid epidemic, you've got to know the prices on the street and how best other than to sample the public. So the public actually puts in there. The thing that I think is important about that is A, that you can find it, but in other words, the mar this market is incredibly efficient. Uh, it is almost exactly a dollar per morphine equivalent per day. Um, you know, depending on the range and where, and where you're trying to get it. The bottom line of that is, you were talking about somebody whose average, you know, average ad addiction is 120, 180, that sort of thing. If they wanted to get prescription drugs off the street, 
They can't afford it. 120 to 180, that's a lot of money, uh, so you, and they don't all go to crime. That's why the heroin is really moving, and that's where we really get into this issue, the squeezing a balloon. I've done maybe a really good job, but maybe too good of a job of provider education that we're squeezing the balloon down. But we don't have the public education, and we don't have the treatment centers, and we don't have the landing strips, which is the other thing is, we gotta figure out a way to keep those planes safely in the air with the harm reduction, because we don't have enough landing strips to get people to abstinence and recovery and safely back on the ground. Um, and so that's where we're really seeing it as we get one part up. This really is that the, the Colorado Consortium uh, was, is a nine-pronged area, and it's really where we try to get it. And then I just kind of want to leave you with the, it's one of the other things, pop, prop, pa, uh, practical thing we saw circling on the slides forever is even when I talk to um, some places that don't actually do it, is you really can uh, give, uh, give uh, information to your... Um, to your patients, and uh, and and one of those patients is that is that really doing medical me uh, the medicine chest hygiene is a really important thing to, to do um, because uh, as we saw the vast majority of people who start their who start their road um, start their road not by not by going out on the street or not by um, even going to emergency departments and. Uh, they, they almost always get it from uh, friends or family's cabinets. So uh, med uh, medicine chest is hygiene. And when I started with the consortium, I sort of said, why is this take back program? I, I don't quite get why that's so important. But uh, you know, it's, so it's, but, it, but it really is, it's a, it is a reducing the supply. So in the end, we've been hearing a lot of great stories of uh, both suffering and, uh, and redemption. And, uh, and as, as you go through this, uh, just being aware that there is something I think that, uh, that we can in fact do about it. Um, and we'll be around to, to, to get into the, to the, get to the area. Oftentimes people ask me, you know, is it, do, am I gonna get into liability risk for, in emergency medicine for writing that bridging prescription? Probably not, uh, not really the issue. Um, is it, you know, the CDC, does, the one guideline that really applies to emergency medicine is, is, not, is, is when you're writing people with, the, with knowing what we know about how these medicines get, get, have untoward effects down the road, is trying to limit that to the three to five days instead of seven to ten, trying to get in there. But I think most importantly, and maybe it's uh, something that maybe five years from now is, I'd hope there'd be one day where the patients actually come in and say, no, Doc, that stuff is kind of dangerous. I heard that that really harmed somebody else, and I don't really want that medication. Is there something else you can give me, something else you can do for me, and make your life a lot easier, and you'll be able to work together, but that day may not be quite here yet. So thank you.